It is a delight and an honor to be with you in Houghton this September morning as your Christian Life Emphasis Week speaker. I am, as uh, Wes mentioned, a proud graduate of Houghton College, 1977. Had a wonderful time here. I uh, only was here two years. I transferred here from another school, so my last two years were here. But they were certainly two of the best uh, years of my educational life and set me on the path uh, to, to all those other degrees and so on that, that Wes mentioned a moment ago. So I'm most grateful for what Houghton did for me. Any, any of my former professors here, none of them were in the first service. Any, any of them here today in the second service? I, word is they're still about somewhere, the, the 11 o'clock service, so they'll, they'll be here. Okay. All right, now... What I'm going to talk to you about this week is a series of sermons under the theme, the story of our lives, the story of our lives. I begin with the observation that one of the best ways to describe a human life is by telling a story. In fact, our lives, your life, my life, it's a story. It has chapters. Chapters have already been written, some pretty interesting ones, but there's still lots of chapters unfolding. Just the other night, I uh, went to a, an art exhibit in Houston for a local artist. I didn't know the, the woman, who the artist, and uh, I was just talking to some of the people there and, and talking to a woman saying, do you know the artist? She said, no, I, I don't know her, but I've heard a lot of stories about her. So that's the way we get to know people. You go out on a date with someone, you know, you want to hear their story. That's how you get to know someone. Tell me your story. Where are you from? Where did you grow up? Where did you go to school, etc.? Now, I want to explore the theme of the story of our lives this week by considering the story of a model Christian, namely the Apostle Paul. I want to look at his story as a way of understanding our own stories more deeply to this point and also helping us think about how we would like our stories to continue to unfold. Now, Paul's story is told in some detail in the book of Acts, and also he gives us uh, some autobiographical passages in several of his other letters. Here are the seven things I'm going to talk about over the next, uh, several, the next several days. First of all, today I'm going to start with the past from which he came, then I'm going to talk tonight about the big turning point that gave his life a new direction. Then I'm going to talk about Paul's all-or-nothing resurrection faith. Next, I'm going to talk about life in the resurrection spirit. Then I'm going to talk about sex, fornication, and resurrection. Then I'm going to talk about the great adventure story Paul lived in following Jesus. And I will conclude with the end that defined the man. So let's start with Paul's story. The very first mention of Paul is at the end of Acts chapter 7, and we read this with respect to Paul. Meanwhile, the witnesses laid their clothes at the feet of a young man named Saul. Witnesses of what? Well, witnesses of someone who was dying. A couple of verses later, we read this line. And Paul was there giving approval to this death. Now, this puts us right in the middle of a story, right there. And immediately we wonder, who's dying? 
And why? And why is Paul approving of this person dying? Some interesting clues. He's a young man. He's a young man who's got some pretty strong feelings. I mean, anytime someone dies and you're happy about it, that's revealing. So the question is, why was he happy about this? Why did he approve of this? Should he have approved of this? So, listen, listen. One of the things that is telling about us are the things we observe and how we feel about them. You're going to witness lots of things in your life. Lots of things you're going to personally be present. And your approvals or your disapprovals are going to say a lot about you. And how you express those approvals and disapprovals. Paul's witnessing someone dying and he approves. So we want to know who is this and why. Well, you need to back up to get the larger story and we discover who it is. The person that's dying is a man named Stephen. You read about Stephen in Acts chapter 6. And Stephen was a pretty impressive guy. In fact, he was the first person mentioned when the church first chose deacons. And he's described as a guy who's full of the Holy Spirit. He's he's described as a guy who has the power of God in his life. He's described as a guy through whom God is doing miracles. And as he dies, it says his face looked like the face of an angel. So here he is. He's, He's full of the Holy Spirit. He does miracles among the people. When he dies, his face looks like an angel. And he cries out, I see Jesus sitting at the right hand of God. And Paul watches this guy die, and he's glad. He's dying. And he's not only just dying, he's being executed in brutal fashion by stoning. So Stephen is watching a human being in whom the Spirit of God is powerfully present, being crushed to death by stones. And as he cries out at his death, Stephen says, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Stephen, Paul, watches this man die, crushed under stones, forgiving the people that are killing him. And Paul, Saul, is happy about it. That's telling, isn't it? Why? Why would... Why would this be the case? Well, the reason Stephen is dying is because he was accused of changing the customs of Moses. Back in Acts chapter 6, verse 14, we've heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place. He will change the customs of Moses. That's what they accused him of. And then Stephen gives his defense in Acts chapter 7. And here we get the story, the larger story. And Stephen begins to tell the story. And it's the story, as he puts it in verse 2 of chapter 7, it's the story of the God of glory revealing himself. And it goes all the way back to the beginning. He says, God first called our forefather Abraham and made some great promises to Abraham. And then those promises went on to Isaac and Jacob and Joseph. And after several hundred years, 
God chose a certain man to fulfill those promises that he first gave to Abraham, and it was Moses. And he goes into lots of detail about Moses. And this is where he really gets to the point that he's trying to get across. Because he says, here's what happened with Moses. When Moses went to the children of Israel in Egypt as God's deliverer to fulfill the promises he made to our forefather Abraham, you would have thought they would have embraced him, but they didn't. In fact, they said, who are you to lead us? Who are you to be the Lord over us? And they rejected Moses. And then after Moses led them out into the wilderness on the way to the promised land, again, they rebelled and said, let's go back to Egypt. So Stephen's driving at something. He's getting at something here. God's chosen vessel, the instrument of God to bring deliverance. Our forefathers rejected him. Now, what is Stephen's point? Well, he makes it more personal. As he continues to tell the story, he brings his listeners into the story And he says, now here's where you guys enter the story. Now, over in Acts chapter 7, Acts chapter 7, verses 51 and 52, he says this. You stiff-necked people, uncircumcised in heart and ears, you are forever opposing the Holy Spirit just as your ancestors did. Which of the prophets did your ancestors not persecute? They killed those who foretold the coming of the righteous one, and now you have become his betrayers and his murderers. Now, you see what Stephen is doing? He tells his story starting with Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, Moses, and then he brings him right in and he says, and you are doing the same thing because you have killed the ultimate deliverer, Jesus just like your forefathers rejected Moses, brought him right into the story. Now, I want to make this point. Just as Stephen drew those people into a much bigger story and said, you're part of this story, you're part of this story that's unfolding, your personal past, your, much, your personal past, there's a larger story that is much more interesting than your personal past. Your personal past, in other words, is much larger and more interesting than your personal story alone. Indeed, our story is part of a much larger story, indeed, of many larger stories. So if I were to talk to you, I might say, where are you from? Tell me where you're from. You might tell me about your hometown. Now, your hometown's a lot bigger story. That story about your hometown, where you're from, has been going on a lot longer than you. I said, where'd you go to school? You might tell me about your high school. And the story of your high school has been going on for some time before you ever got there. And now you're part of the story of Houghton. This is not part of your story. Houghton's been around a lot longer than you and I before we ever got here. The story of Houghton goes way back, you see. And the same is true of me. I came from a, a little town. It's not even a town. It's a hamlet in southern Ohio called Knockamstiff. I kid you not. Knockham Stiff, Ohio is where I was born and raised. And guess what? Knockham Stiff is now famous. I have a friend who lived a mile up the road from me who's become a famous writer. 
And he wrote a book, his first book, like four or five years ago, and it's called Knock 'em Stiff. Knock 'em Stiff is now famous in literary circles. You say, this is, this is now part of my story, and it's more interesting now because of my friend who's become this famous writer. It's really rough stuff, I warn you. From a place called Knock 'em Stiff, what would you expect? Right? Okay? Uh, Houghton is part of my story. Houston Baptist University is part of my story. Notre Dame University is part of my story. So last night, when the Irish went down to Michigan, and that interception happened right before halftime, and I knew the game was turning against us, that's not part of my story. My team lost, you see. Because I'm part of bigger stories, and so are you. But here's the story that's biggest of all. You're part of God's story. You're part of the creation story. You're part of the revelation story that started with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Joseph and Moses and Jesus. You're, sort of the, you, 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 you're part of the salvation story. That's the bigger story of which all of us are part, and our story inevitably intersects with this story. So just like Stephen brought his hearers into this story he told you too are part of the same story because God is revealing himself to you and God is speaking to you and God is calling you and your reaction to that is the most important part of your story, period. How are you going to react to that when the God of glory reveals himself and shows himself and makes himself known and calls you? You see, that's the most important part of your story. Now, let's go back again to Paul. Paul's personal past and this larger story. Well, the text that was read to you today gives us quite a few details about Paul's personal life. And we read in Acts 21, 39, he was a Jew from Tarsus and he says, no ordinary city. Tarsus was a city of culture and education. It was no Knockamstiff. Paul didn't grow up in Knockamstiff. He said, I'm from Tarsus, an important city, a place that was cultured, a place of education. He was a Roman citizen, born a Roman citizen. He tells us in Acts chapter 2, verse 28. And the fact that he, a Jew, was born a Roman citizen tells us something further. That his father or grandfather must have done something to win favor with the Roman Empire to have earned citizenship, which allowed Paul to be born a citizen. So he was born a Roman citizen. He was raised in Jerusalem. We're told in Acts chapter 22, verse 3. From a child, we are told that he followed the Jewish faith, was raised in the Jewish faith. In Acts chapter 26, verse 4, he was of the tribe of Benjamin. Who was the first king of Israel? Saul. Saul from the tribe of Benjamin. What is his name? Saul. I suspect lots of young men from the tribe of Benjamin got the name of Saul, right? They're one of their proudest, uh, proudest people. He studied, we are told, at the feet of Gamaliel. Acts chapter 22, verse 3. Now, Gamaliel was not just anybody He was a star. He was a star rabbi. Paul was trained by a star rabbi, got a first-rate education in Judaism. He was a Pharisee, we are told, in Acts chapter 26, verse 5, and Philippians 3, 5. Now, the word Pharisee literally means separated. And the Pharisees were those who considered themselves the people who really took God seriously. They're the nonconformists. They don't simply fit in with the world. They were separated, set apart. They were zealous for God. And he wasn't just any old Pharisee. 
He called himself a Hebrew of the Hebrews. Now, a Hebrew is a stricter term than Jew because these were people who went to Hebrew-speaking synagogues, again, unlike Greek-speaking synagogues, which were more accommodating to the culture. So the point is, he was someone who was utterly serious about his Jewish faith. Strict, set apart, separated, zealous for God. And completely committed to doing the will of God as he understood it. Now, all of this explains to us and illumines the beginning of the story that I started with. This is why Paul witnessed a man being crushed to death by stoning and stood there giving his approval and his blessing and his support because he believed that Jesus and what Jesus was all about was totally against the true God and he was willing to put people to death for what he believed to be the truth. That's the story. That's the story. Now, this also explains, this also explains his zealous persecution of the church, which we read about in Acts chapter 8, verse 3. Saul was ravaging the church ravaging, wreaking havoc by entering house after house, dragging off both men and women, he committed them to prison. Men and women, doesn't matter. If they're Christians, Paul went to the synagogues, listened to see if anybody there professed the name of Jesus, arrested them, and took them to prison with the intention of putting them to death. That's who he was. That's what he was all about. Now later, Paul, of course, became a Christian. And this is the part of Paul's story of which he was the most ashamed. This is the part of his past of which he did not like to speak. In fact, in Acts, excuse me, 1 Corinthians 15, verse 9, he says this, I'm the least of the apostles I don't even deserve to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church. I don't deserve the title. I shouldn't be called an apostle because of what I did. Now, in our own stories, I can't speak for you, but I can only speak for myself, and I suspect the same is true of you. There are parts of your story that you're ashamed of. There are parts of your story, if you were to lay it all out in front of us here today and tell us about who you are and where you're from and what you've done and what you've witnessed and what you've approved and disapproved and so on, there's some things that as the story unfolded, you would say, I'm ashamed of that part. I know it's true of me. I, I stand in front of you as, as, a, as a divorced man. Uh, it's not the part of the story I like to talk about. I'll tell you about knocking stiff. Uh, happily talk to you about my books and my degrees and all that stuff. But I don't like to talk about that part. But the bottom line is it's part of my story. It's, it's, it's part of who I am and what I am. 
I didn't choose to end the marriage, but bottom line is, when marriages fail, there's always plenty of blame to go around. I know that. Bottom line is, I failed in marriage. It's true. But Paul went on to say in verse 10, 1 Corinthians 15, but I am what I am by the grace of God. Despite that, God's grace is at work in my life. And it's tempting when things like this happen to think, God, are you done with me? Can you still use me? And here's the great thing. The story of God's grace, the story of redemption, the story of restoration, the story of God's creative grace to take even our worst failures and redeem them is a much bigger, more powerful, stronger, more potent, more interesting story than the story of our sin. The story of our sin is part of the story. Part of our failure is part of the story. It's part of our past. But it's not the most interesting or most important part of our story. There's a bigger story of which we are a part that is much more interesting and much more powerful. And it's a story of redemption. I conclude with this point. Notice. Paul's worst sins came out of, were connected with, his greatest strengths. Paul was brilliant. Paul was well-educated. Paul had lots of gifts. He had Roman citizenship as a Jew, which gave him advantages. Highly educated, highly trained, and he had passion. He was a man on the rise. He was already respected highly among his peers as a young man and was clearly seen as an emerging superstar. Those were his gifts, intrinsically good. But the greater the gift is, the greater the good is that God gives us, the worse damage we do when we go astray with it. The greater the angel, the worse the demon. The greater the power, the greater the potential, the greater the capacity the worse the damage and sin when we go off course with it. And Paul's greatest gifts, all of these things about his past, his personal past, is what led him to do the things of which he was most ashamed. But again, that's not the end of the story. Those strengths given to Christ at his conversion are also what enabled him to do the enormous good that he did when he put them into the hands of Christ. And that's the story we will continue to tell tonight.